The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Welcome to uh, the show. We only got one more hour left. We got lots to do. So. Uh, I'll save HR McMaster. I want to share this part of the story first. Read a nice analysis uh, about millennials. That The title is Leading Millennials in the Military. Now, of course, we've talked about millennials before. Everyone in the Blaze Radio has talked about millennials and the special snowflakes and social justice warriors and, and all the rest, mostly on college campuses. But I really got interested in one specific angle of this conversation when... The former CIA director was doing an interview. He did an interview with us a couple months ago. About uh, it was on BBC about why there are so many leaks coming out of the intelligence agency these days, and he said it's because of millennials. The nature of warfare today, it's you know, it's online cyber warfare. And it means that the CIA had to recruit millennials who grew up with computers and, you know, really good at computers and they took computer code as a language in school or in their free time or whatever. So they had to hire all these millennials who are really good at computers. But the problem is they're millennials. And Hayden said, quote, I don't mean to judge them at all, but this group of millennials simply have different understandings of the word loyalty secrecy and transparency than certainly my generation did. And so we bring these folks into the agency, these millennials, and they're good Americans, I can only assume. But again, culturally, they have different instincts than the people who made the decision to hire them. So one reason, I'm sure there's others, but one reason out of the, out of the CIA why there are so many leaks is because millennials just can't keep their mouths shut. And... I'm not even going to say it's nefarious. I think a lot of it's just culture because their whole life growing up, there was never a such thing as privacy, right? There, there was not only was it not a, not possible, but it wasn't even something they wanted. And, and quite the opposite. The urge was to create a brand and put everything online as much as possible. Isn't that interesting? So I know that if you're, I don't know, baby boomer today and you're listening now, you wanted privacy. 
right? You wanted privacy. Then technology started increasing and privacy was getting a little more difficult to keep. But then it hit a point where with the millennials, it's privacy. Who wants privacy? I'm going to Facebook live my entire life. I'm going to put everything I can on YouTube. I'm going to put all the pictures of my life and my vacation and everything about me on, on Facebook all the time. Voluntarily. I'm going to, I'm going to let people invade my privacy voluntarily. <laughs> so then these kids grew up and now they're in the CIA and hey, keep something secret, secret. What's, what's that? I, don't, I know that. It, so then you add on top of that, you know, some selfishness and, these kids who are now adults are going into the CIA and then they do their work for the day and they go home and they say, Oh my gosh, let me tell you everything I did today <laughs> post it online. Isn't that interesting. So I, I got fascinated by that when I first read that a while ago. Uh, it's, it's just millennials who can't keep their mouths shut. So that being said, came across this article by Keith Humbard uh, about millennials in the military. So he starts off saying good things about millennials, right? This is what you're supposed to do when you have bad news for someone, make it a sandwich, good news then the bad news then the good news soften it up uh so he does he says the good things right so the good things about millennials the good in the military they're good with technology uh millennials want fulfillment in their daily lives and then that's good right? to seek fulfillment they are group oriented rather than individualists good team players this was drilled into us in, in school growing up it was all about group activities and being a good team player and all this stuff so we're good at that. So that's all. That's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. Quote, some negative aspects of millennials stem from what some would consider failed parenting. They've always been treated as special or vital. Every milestone was marked with celebrations and praise. They may carry an air of entitlement about them and have constant anticipation of frequent and positive feedback. It's been taught to them that they are indispensable to society and the world at large. They feel an obligation to solve world problems that previous generations have failed to answer. Uh, are you with that so far, right? right? Oh, you're so special. You're so wonderful. You're the most important person in the world. You're so unique. No one's ever like you. You're amazing. Most fantastic person ever to walk the face of the planet. Oh, look what a great job you did. You got a, a B on this test. You're amazing. Let's go out and celebrate. Like Everything is celebration and praise. So kids have entitlement, but also this insecurity that comes from, or it comes from that that says, praise me, praise me, praise me. Am I doing good? Am I doing good? Am I doing good? Tell me how wonderful I am. Tell me, like, we just constantly need that. So the kids, these grow up and they grow up and they go in the military where you get none of that, any praise. And it can be super discouraging because wait, what do you mean? Am I doing good? I don't know. Am I right? What's, am, what, am I not important? Aren't I important? Aren't I vital? Aren't I special? Tell me I'm special. A common goal for millennials is fulfillment in their lives. The problem is that years of growing up in an immediate gratification society has left them without the patience to see their efforts through until fruition. They're used to seeing something they want and getting it. So if fulfillment, that's their goal, right? So if fulfillment is the peak of the mountaintop, of course, they desire to reside on that peak every day. And they stand at the bottom of the mountain, staring up at the peak, reaching for it untainably. They fail to see the mountain in front of them that they must conquer first. Their life experiences have left them little to, without, the, without the tools necessary to begin the arduous journey from beginner to difference maker. Those tools are fortitude, determination, and patience. Right? So they, they want fulfillment. That's the top of the mountain. That's the goal, fulfillment. Okay, that's fine. But 
It's on top of the mountain. You got to actually climb the mountain to get there. But no one wants to do that. We just want it. I just want to be fulfilled. So we find cheap substitutes instead of the actual thing. This is a major problem. The tools that millennials don't have because they never needed to to earn them. Fortitude, determination, and patience. So on my local show, every Monday at 11 o'clock, we have what we call the biographer segment. And we have a different biographer on every week. And we ask them the same question. What are three characteristics of this person? Whoever. Wright Brothers. Who did we do last week? Who did we talk about last week? Goodness gracious, I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, you get the idea. What are three characteristics of this person? Oh, Calcutta. Mother Teresa. Jeez. So anyway, what are three characteristics of this person that define them? Uh, that we can apply to our lives. And without fail, 90% of the people that we've talked to, we've done it over a year, 90% of them say perseverance as one of the characteristics or some, some asp- something like perseverance, perseverance, determination, something like that. So it's pretty simple to come to the conclusion that you can't be successful in life without it. You just can't. You can't be successful in life without perseverance. And millennials generally lack it. That's a big problem. And it's not impossible. It's not that kids can't, can't still have it. We just have baby boomers who have raised them that made it so they don't need to have it. And again, I've talked to them like, like babies forever. And that's not necessary. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that with Jack, with my son, my wife and I, we were, um, we were exhausted. It was, I forget what day it was. It was, but it was an awkward time of night. It was like eight forty, So it was too early to go to bed, but too late to do anything productive. So I was like, ah, oh, let's see what's on the TV. We haven't turned on the TV in forever. And it was total garbage, just total crap. And we ended up on, master chef kids or something could that be right and it was right near the end of the show and you got the the tough guy chef and it's it's kids like 10 year olds and he goes up to the kids there's like four of them and he goes listen guys really disappointed in you this was not your best effort pretty bad result you know really really pretty embarrassing i know you're better than that so let's clean up let's do a better job and dessert here we go come on and the 10 year olds go yes master chef And they get back to cleaning the pots and pans so they can start the dessert. And I thought, well, that was perfect. Like that, that's how that should go. So so kids aren't as fragile and porcelain as society as lately we've been pretending they are. You can actually talk directly and honestly and sternly and clearly to 10 year olds and they won't cry a little bit. And you can do that with 18 and 22 year olds in college as well. And they shouldn't cry either. It was really interesting. The, the, the chef's like, listen, I'm really disappointed in you guys. Really bad result. I know you're better than that. So what? <laughs> Master Chef wheeled at me. No, they're like, yes, Master Chef. And went back because they know they, they didn't do a good job. So anyway, here's, a, here's the quote from this uh, Marine again. During their adolescent years, many millennials participated in school activities and sports, which lauded the group effort and gave equal acknowledgement to all. Everyone gets a trophy and no one keeps score. Though this method fosters a team mentality, 
it brings with it some unintended consequences. It can be traumatic, a traumatic event to realize that real life does keep score. Not everyone gets a trophy. And your level of effort is directly compar- uh, comparable to your peers. Giving a trophy to even the mediocre performers will make the individual feel embarrassed and ashamed because the individual knows deep down that they didn't deserve or earn it. Kids know the truth. If that Master Chef guy went up and was like, guys, listen, that was really, really good. Ugh, yummy, yummy, so delicious. The kids would be like, well, no, we didn't, we didn't do a good job. So don't do that. Just be like, hey, guys, that really wasn't a good job. They know. And if you give them a trophy that they didn't earn, they'll know. So don't do it. Interesting how these uh, generations are so different. All right, I want to come back and uh, we'll talk about H.R. McMaster and, and how he's from the old school generation. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Actually, I got one more thing to say before we get to McMaster. I promise we'll do it next. Um, so the, this article, Leading Millennials in the Military, and how basically a lot of millennials have a tough time growing up and entering back or entering into the real world. Uh, it reminded me of Peter Pan. Everyone's seen Peter Pan, right? Or some version of it. So any version that you've seen is wrong. It's not wrong. It's very different from the original. That's how I should put it. All these Disney movies, the original versions from a long time ago are super dark. Like really, really disturbingly dark. And the same thing with Peter Pan. So Peter Pan today, it's all... Oh, you know, childhood is so great and I wish we could go back and be a kid and never grow up and wasn't that wonderful and now we're adults and adults are it's boring and if I could be a kid again. That's that's not what Peter Pan was at all, if you read the book. Peter Pan's a story about it's a cautionary tale to kids that says you don't want to be a kid forever. You want to grow up. You don't want to be like Peter Pan. Right, so Disney's taken it and said, "Oh, to adults, isn't it great? We, w- I wish we could be more like kids." But the real book is, "Hey, kids, you don't want to be like kids. You want to be an adult. You don't want to live in Never Neverland. You want to grow up." So Tinkerbell is awful. Uh, she, um, she's so small that she can only feel one emotion at a time. So, and she's awful. Like she gets drunk. And she fell in love with Peter. And like, so that's lust, right? So she has, she's one emotion. She has lust at a time. Um, and then there's another scene where she shoots Wendy with an arrow, right? So she's jealous. So, so Tinkerbell is the seven deadly sins. That's in the book. She's the seven deadly sins. And she experiences each one of those at a time. Jealousy, lust, hate, anger, whatever. 
Um, so she, you don't want to be like Tinkerbell. And you don't want to be like Peter Pan either. Because if you say a kid forever, the original book says, then you'll never learn right from wrong and you'll never reach your full potential. But we've totally flipped it on its head. Isn't that interesting? I know we've quoted before Seneca. is about uh, around zero. And he was talking about adversity. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, those, uh, those feet have been kept warm by hot air passing beneath the floor and circulating around the walls. If that's you, this man will run great risk if he is brushed by a gentle breeze. (laughs) I love that line. If you live in luxury, you become weak and pathetic and you might get blown over by a gentle breeze. And we are so prosperous today and, and baby boomers because maybe they grew up Via, so the, via the uh, greatest generation to the depression and the baby boomers and we're like baby boomers are so caught up and, and from a good place wanting to give their kids millennials the best life possible and really handicapped us. I forgot about this one, but it just came to me. Remember a while ago there was, there was a story about a science teacher doing some demonstration about something. I forget what it even was. And they, the teacher gave kids Oreos to teach the lesson on something and permission slips were sent home to ask parents if the kids could eat the Oreo after the lesson. Permission slips for eating an Oreo cookie. I don't. What? I know. I know. There's many more examples, but look at them. Like permission slips to eat an Oreo. What are we? What are we talking about? What's going to happen when when people who can't handle anxiety or adversity or a bad grade or a mean boss or a gentle breeze experience real life? And what's going to happen when this type of behavior becomes the norm? And what's going to happen when? we're all Peter Pan and we just want to go back to Neverland and never grow up and how odd that the original Peter Pan is. No, no, you don't want to be here. Kids, you, you want to grow up. It's better to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be happier when you grow up. Oh, you'll be happier and you'll live a great life and you'll go do great things and you'll change the world. And it'd be really, really great. You don't want to stay here. Neverland's not a good place. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. All right, I'll come back with HR McMaster. Let me just share this here—a quick little intro to him. Um, I think we talked about this part before, but I haven't gone into the the, the depth of it. So, HR McMaster—he's the National Security Advisor, and I've been seeing a lot of him this last week. You probably have too. He is right up there with Mad Dog Mattis, who's the new Secretary of Defense, as scholar warriors. They are brilliant men, and Mad Dog Mattis—he. He's mocked before Uh, the people he calls them the fourth generation of war intellectuals who run around talking about how war is as the the concepts of war have fundamentally changed because we're in a whole new era. And Mad Dog Mattis says, no, no, not really. He said, Alexander the Great would not be in the least bit perplexed by the enemy that we're facing now in Iraq. And this is my favorite line. He says, our leaders who go into this fight with ISIS do their troops a great disservice by not studying the men who have gone before us like Alexander the Great. 
He says, we've been fighting on this planet for 5,000 years and we should take advantage of their experience. It, experience, Winging it, winging it and filling body bags as we sort out what works reminds us of the moral dictates and the cost of competence in our profession. So he's saying, listen, we're going to go fight in Iraq. We need to know what Alexander the Great learned in 300 BC when he was fighting in Iraq. We need to learn from past experience. And if we go into this war thinking that things are fundamentally different just because we have new weapons, uh, human nature hasn't changed. And many of the situations on the ground haven't changed. We have to learn from the past. Otherwise, people die. These are brilliant minds. that we. And listen, there's a lot of intellectuals who are smart who don't think that that's true. I happen to think it's absolutely true. And luckily, so does Mad Dog Mattis and H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor. And we're already seeing some of the benefits. I know, I know of Mad Dog and, and also of H.R. McMaster, even just in the last week. So I want to talk about an interview that H.R. Not an interview, sorry, an um, uh, article that H.R. McMaster wrote many years ago based on a book he wrote that uh, the lessons from are already being used in Iraq. I'll prove that next. one 900 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show at the Blaze. Radio Network, spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. So, H.R. McMaster, uh, National Security Advisor, great scholar, warrior. Remember a couple months ago, this would have been when, oh, yes, Milo, (laughs) Milo Yiannopoulos. Remember the great fall of Milo Yiannopoulos? And we did a segment on steak and sizzle and how we are wired to look for the sizzle and to be attracted by the sizzle. But the problem is we get distracted by the sizzle and we don't even really look to see if there's any steak there at all. So it's all sizzle, no steak. And we talked about Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, all steak, abhors the sizzle, has contempt for sizzle. I'm sure you've seen one of his press conferences. Hate avoids sizzle like it's the plague, but he wins Super Bowl. Because he knows that to win games, it's all about the stake. And I think our conclusion when we talked about that was that we should look for people who are all stake, no sizzle. I have, I have no desire for sizzle anymore. I'm over it. I'm over the sizzle. So let's look for some stake. Let's look for substance and depth within people. And H.R. McMaster is a very no sizzle, all stake kind of guy. So in 1997, he wrote a book called Dereliction of Duty. And in the book, he criticized military officers for not challenging politicians during the Vietnam War. And he wrote this for his PhD thesis. Smart guy, bold. And he wrote this great essay about his time leading this tank battle in what's, during the Gulf War. It's called the Battle of 73 Easting. And he crushed the Iraqis and wrote an essay about some of the principles from that battle. 
And I want to talk about some of those, uh, those principles here because I think they apply to today. The essay is called, it's something like 10 lessons from 23 minutes or something like that. So I want to run through three of these lessons. So here's one of the lessons. And, and see if you can sense a progression out of these. First lesson, use standard unit fire and battle drills. He says it's all about pre-planned communication and action and by the book, right? So first rule or first lesson from the Battle of 73 Easting in the Gulf War was we're going to use our standard unit fire and standard battle drills that we've trained and we've learned and it's time to execute. Next rule, fight through the fog of battle. Be prepared for confusion and concurrent activity. So a lot of things happening at once. Next rule. Be prepared for misfires and degraded operations. So do you see the progression here? Because you look at this, and the first time I looked at it, I said, well, hold on. So you're telling me, lesson number one, use standard fire, standard battle drills. Lesson number two, fight through the fog of battle because things are going to get confusing and screwed up. And then rule number three, be prepared for everything to go to hack. <laughs> right? That's, that's the progression. Be prepared. Textbook operations. Then things will become foggy. Be prepared. Keep going. Then... Be prepared for when everything fails and falls apart. He tells a story of a private first class who was ordered to reload a tank, uh, a, a tank with a missile, but he couldn't get the, hargo, the cargo hatch open to load it up, right? And he tried to kick the hatch release, but it broke off. The handle broke off. So instead of saying, oh, sorry, sir, I can't get it loaded. He jumped out the back door of the tank when it was under attack with machine gun fire, climbed on the back of the tank, loaded both missiles, and then tapped his commander on the shoulder and said, the missiles are up. And the staff sergeant nearly jumped out of his skin because he thought an Iraqi climbed into the tank. And he brought this lesson up because this is a perfect example. I'm going to load this missile the way I've learned a and practiced a thousand times. Oh, it's not working. I'm going to, I can't open the hatch. I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to try until I break the hatch. Okay. I broke the hatch. Now what do I do? Well, I guess I'm going to jump out the back of the tank and do it myself. Right. Things didn't work properly. He didn't give up. He found a way to get it done. That's how you win battles. That's how you win wars. Let me, uh, I'll share one more story here. Let's do this one. This is, so one of the lessons is you have to take risks to win. Because Eagle Troop pressed the assault, these are our guys, the enemy could not respond effectively. As we cleared the westernmost defensive positions, our executive officer broke on the radio. He said, guys, I know you don't want to know this right now, but you're at the limit of the advance. You're at the 70 Easting. And I responded, tell them we can't stop. Tell them we're in contact with the enemy and we have to continue this attack. Tell them I'm sorry. That's, that's McMaster. So think about that. When you see McMaster up there right now, he's playing kind of like this uh, Mark Perry uh, nerdy guy with the glasses. Look when he does these press conferences. But the guy's a warrior. The guy's a total champ. So think about it. He's in these tanks. And, uh, you know, one of the guys back to base is like, Hey, listen, guys, you can't go any further. Okay. This is all, except you're at 70 Easting, can't go any further. And he's like, tell him we can't stop. 
Sorry. <laughs> Tell him we got to keep attacking. We had surprised and shocked the enemy. Stopping would have allowed them to recover. As Erwin Rommel observed in infantry attacks, the man who lies low and awaits developments usually comes off second best. It is fundamentally wrong to halt or to wait for more forces to come up and take part in the action. He says Eagle Troop continued to attack towards another very subtle ridgeline on what the enemy and which the enemy positioned his reserve, a coil of 18 T-72 tanks. The Iraqis had 18 tanks in this one area. Major Mohammed later told one of our troopers that he had not known he was under attack until a soldier ran into his elaborate command bunker yelling, tanks, tanks. And by the time he got to his observation post, all the vehicles in defensive positions to the west were in flames. He ordered the reserve behind him to establish a second defensive line, but it was too late. Eagle Troop's tanks crested the rise and entered the assembly area. The tanks were starting to move out when we destroyed them at close range. Continuing the attack beyond the limit of advance. Think about this. So here, like, guys, remember, lesson number one. Use standard unit fire and battle drills and the pre-planned, this is what we're going to do. Here's the limit of advance, 70 easting. And McMaster said, well, we're going to keep going. He said, continuing the attack beyond the limit of advance, beyond 70 easting, was consistent with a command climate that not only encouraged, but also demanded that junior leaders take initiative. Colonel Holder told us during training that because of the pace of the action and the size of the battlefield, important decisions have to be made quickly by junior leaders in contact, the people on the ground. All regimental leaders must train their juniors to do the right things and then trust them to act independently. Leaders must teach and practice mission orders. And it was a message all leaders in the regiment internalized. So what does this mean? And this is, this is true for business too. You have to empower your employees to do the right thing and to take initiative and get the job done. You can't micromanage your employees. And in the military, here's McMaster saying, you can't micromanage the guys on the ground. You have to give them a mission and let them accomplishment, accomplish it. Now, where do we see that? This is amazing. We see it already with the fight against ISIS. One of the tiny details of uh, dropping the Moab, the mother of all bombs a couple weeks ago. Remember, this is the largest non-nuclear weapon ever dropped in, in combat history. Dropped in some, uh, some uh, mountain range and where there were a bunch of tunnels in Afghanistan. A little footnote to that whole story is the military never told the president they were doing it. They just did it. Largest non-nuclear bomb in the history of the world. And they didn't tell the president. Now you may look at that and you're thinking, well, that's a huge problem. How could they go ahead and do that without the president's permission? Oh no, it's very different. They had the president's permission. The president Trump has authorized the military to complete the mission, whatever it takes. What's the mission? I don't know the specifics of it, but win, right? Defeat ISIS, whatever it takes. The president has empowered the people below him. He's empowered people in the military to accomplish the mission, whatever it takes. This is a sign of great leadership. Where did Trump get this? I think Trump learned this over decades of the companies he runs. Like he, there's no way a human can 
manage all the companies that Trump does without empowering people to accomplish tasks and accomplish missions and empowering them to, to, to do what needs to be done. Okay. So he's definitely learned that over the years, but then you combine that with McMaster, HR McMaster and the lessons that he learned as a part of the battle of 73 Easting, right? Remember we just talked about 70 Easting can't go past 70 Easting. Well, they did. That's why it's called the battle of 73 Easting. Um, you got to, you got to empower the people below you. So McMaster took that lesson to Trump who already knew it a little bit and said, listen, you have to empower the military to just do what it takes. Remember we've shared, I think twice the story of the Afghan ambassador. So he's the ambassador from Afghanistan to America. And he was doing this dinner with gold star moms. And they were asked, he was asked the difference between president Obama, and president Trump. And he went through a bunch of things, but one of them was that president Trump wants to win. And President Obama just wanted to not lose. And the Barack Obama White House was very Vietnam-esque. I remember McMaster wrote his PhD thesis and then a book criticizing the military leaders during Vietnam for not going after, not going after, that's not the best word, for not um, standing up against the political leaders at the time. What Barack Obama did with the military was very Vietnam-esque, very micromanaging of every decision. Why? Because he didn't want to win. He just didn't want to not lose, or he wanted to not lose. President Trump wanted to win, so he's empowered the military to do whatever it takes. That is a huge difference and an exciting difference. So when you see me master giving these press conferences, and he will, you'll see more of it, uh, now you know a little bit more about him. Smart, smart guy. Really respected. A scholar warrior. A student of history. Nothing... Uh, because he's a student of history, nothing's new. He understands this has all been done before. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. And as uh, Mad Dog said, who's very similar, he said, if you don't learn from the last 5,000 years of history of war, then we're winging it. And we're filling body bags and we, we can't wing it. We need to know what we're doing. I'm really, really glad that Trump hired these two guys and they're absolutely first class. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. You gotta go. Very annoying. Uh, but I'm really glad you've been here today. Let me give uh, I got like two minutes. I'll give one little example here, something I'll leave you off with that I think is fascinating. Um, we talk a lot on the show about how we form opinions instantly. So just think about this whenever you hear all this Comey stuff and all this impeachment talk or whatever. Uh, these, this impeachment stuff is coming from people who already decided to hate Trump. So no matter what happens, they're going to hate Trump. It doesn't matter. And that's what we do. We form opinions instantly, and then we protect them at all costs. We build a fortress around our opinions, and we never let anyone get even close enough to attack it. And we are very, very good at it. And I want to give a little story here about how good we are at proving ourselves right and protecting ourselves right. So researchers found that people will defend a decision that they never actually made. 
So what they do is they'll show someone two pictures of two different people and they'll ask the, the this, this person, who do you find more attractive person a or person B and the, and the guy goes, Oh, I, I prefer person a. And then the researcher will distract the subject for a split second and switch the pictures and then ask the, the, the subject why they decided that person a is more attractive. But the thing is now it's actually person B. Are you with me? So they chose person A, but then in a split second later, they switched the people and the guy, the guy didn't notice. And they said, oh, okay, so why do you prefer person A? But it's person B. Now, let me exaggerate here just for the sake of clarity, but I'm really not that far off. Let's say I have uh, uh, dark hair and, and someone else has blonde hair. And someone looks at a picture of each of us and they say, uh, I'm more attractive because they prefer dark hair. And then the researcher switch, switches the pictures. And then ask the person, so why did you choose this person? Only 25% of the people will say, well, wait a second. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that person. Actually, I said the, uh, the person with brown hair, not the one with blonde hair. Only 25% of people. 75% of people look at, look at the, the, the person they didn't choose and say, oh, um, yeah, I, I prefer that person because of the blonde hair. I love, I love blonde hair. I, I much prefer blonde hair. No, they don't. They're just saying that because they think they made that decision and they are desperately looking for ways to justify it because the last thing any of us want to do is admit we're wrong to the point where we will convince ourselves that we find blonde haired people more attractive even when we don't, for example. So obviously we see this with Trump hysteria everywhere. You know how many, after Comey was fired, you know, everyone being like, oh, it's Watergate, it's Watergate. No, it's not. But it needed to be for people who already decided that Trump needed to be impeached. So from this point forward, everything's always going to be worse than Watergate. Just know that anyone who says this is worse than Watergate or anything's worse than Watergate is really someone who really has nothing noteworthy to say. Slater Crusaders, we'll see you next Saturday. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network.